We're in lesson 2, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25, and we're going to talk about the lifestyle of the new birth. Last week we talked about the hope of the new birth, that basically salvation, and I think this is a very important lesson. A pastor friend of mine here in town sent me a link to a Newsweek article that has, I don't know if it's come out yet, but it will come out, it's probably on the stand, will be on the stand. And on the front page of Newsweek, it'll say, The End of Christian America. Now, before you react to that and get angry, no reason to get angry because what it's saying is true. And basically, it's a, it's the whole point of the, the main article is, is that it's showing that 10% decrease in those who call themselves Christians and a, 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 an equal amount of increase in those who don't believe anything. And the article is accurate. Whether you like it or not, it's accurate. And I've shared with you before that we are, we are not a Christian nation anymore. We're becoming less of a Christian nation. In fact, I just saw a recent, I was reading a book, and they were looking at all the different studies over the last few years about church attendance. And what they have found is, is this one author's point is, is that 80% of Americans don't attend church. 80% of Americans don't attend church. Now, if you think about that, I want you to think about that. Quit just think about our community. Think about the community you live in. That's probably pretty accurate. In fact, 80% of Americans don't attend church, but a vast majority of the 18 to 40-year-olds don't go to church. So you think about that. So what does that say? That says that there's a great shift happening in our nation. Now, I have shared with you before that the Barnard Research Group came out with a book called Unchristian, and they said that even for those who go to church, the only difference between their lifestyle and the lifestyle of someone who is not an unbeliever is one thing only, church attendance. Every other aspect of their life is very similar to those who don't profess anything or who profess something else. We'll lie just as much. In fact, our divorce rate is higher than that in the world. We'll lie just as much, we'll steal just as much, we won't look at as much pornography, we gamble just as much. So the only difference is church attendance. Now you say, what has this got to do with our Sunday school lesson? It has everything to do with our Sunday school lesson. We're looking at First and Second Peter in Jude, and we're looking at, talking about living in the eye of the storm. We're talking about living in the last days. We're talking about living your life out in a culture that is headed ultimately to the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, that may be next week or it may be a hundred years from now, but you need to recognize, we talked about this last week, Peter identified us as what? Pilgrims, sojourners. We're only here temporarily. So, while we're here temporarily, he's going to talk now about the lifestyle that you and I need to have as believers. Now, as soon as I say that, immediately... Some of you will be thinking, oh no, here he goes, he's going to give me a bunch of rules, legalism. Well, here's the reason why, when we talk about having a holy lifestyle, we really have shot ourselves in the foot. Because years ago, we had rules for everything in our church. We had rules about how you could dress, where you could go, where you couldn't go, what you could watch. You understand? So we made up all these rules that we didn't have any biblical basis for them, or we tried to make a biblical basis by twisting scriptures to say it, so we reacted, and what happens with human beings when they react, they swing from one side of the pendulum to another. And so as we go through this passage, you're not going to find a whole lot of rules about don't read the Sunday comics, 
That, that's where, how many of you have heard that before? You maybe have even lived under that. Or you don't, don't go fishing on Sunday. Keep the Sabbath holy. Not a Sabbath, it's Saturday, not Sunday. So what we're going to talk about is a lifestyle, because here's the thing. Our culture is changing. And, and you may look at that and be depressed by that. Let me just stop at that. I don't, I'm not depressed by that. I look at that as an opportunity. I look at it as an opportunity for those who truly believe to live their life out, to make an impact for Jesus. I think that if we have this assumption that it's a Christian nation, we just become complacent with our faith. And we just assume that everything's going to be the way it's always been. It has long ago changed. And again, you may not like that, but that's reality. Here, let me just explain something to you. I want you to notice something. Even when we have a bunch of people here today, I want you to look around the church, and I want you to count on your hands, or on your two hands, how many 18 to 40-year-olds are here? I can already tell you, that is the missing generation from our churches. I've already told you what the statistics are. In fact, I know every other pastor here in town. I can already tell you that they lament the same thing, that that is the lost generation. They say, well, we at least got the teenagers for now. Statistics are 95% of Christian young people leave the church when they graduate from high school, period. Now, I had somebody ask me this question last night. I was at a gathering, and he said, why do you think that is? And it isn't because of the church, although I think the church does play a part in it. I think it's because we have so compartmentalized our lives. We act one way at church. We act another way at home. We act another way at work. And young people are smart. They see right through it. They don't see faith lived out in our everyday lives, period. Here's the thing. They see what the, your unbelieving friends see. And so they make that distinction that, wait a minute, this, this obviously isn't that real. Now, you said, you said the church plays a part. Here's why I think the church plays a part. And because we just had this discussion for three weeks in talking about being the church. And a lot of you responded to that whole concept about wanting to be the church that God wants us to be. I think that what they're not seeing in church is, is that church really is dead. You say, what do you mean by that? Church is really spiritually dead. It's like what Paul says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And so there's no life there. God is not in the midst of the people. And so really, there are more exciting things to do. They don't see faith lived out at home. And they don't really sense the presence of God in the midst of the people of God. So why would they want to have anything to do with it? It's only logical. And, and really, for some of you, the reason why you're here is not because you desire God and want to be after God. It's because you're a Christian. It's always the Christian thing to do. And we get ourselves into a works-oriented system. So we've got to make some adjustments. So we need to enter into this passage now, into these uh, 13 verses here, with a mindset of, Lord, we need to become the people you want us to be. We need to become a people that you can see, that people will be able to look at us and see a radical change in our lives. In fact, we're going to look at really three areas here. We're going to look at a life that is marked by holiness. We're going to look at a life that is marked by reverence. And then we're going to look at a life that's marked by love. So let's, let's look at that first of all. Let's look at, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. And we're going to look at the issue of a life marked by holiness and hope. Verse 13, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts 
as in your ignorance. But as he who is called you is holy, therefore you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Okay, let's look at a couple things here. He's going to talk about preparing your minds. You understand, when we talk about a lifestyle, the decision for you living the life that God wants you to live starts here, right here in your mind. And listen, let me just stop. How do I prepare my mind? We've got to start thinking holistically. We've got to quit this junk of compartmentalizing our lives. And let's be honest. I'll be brutally honest with you. We've got to stop acting one way in church, another way at home, another way at work, another way with our buddies, and another way by ourselves. And I think everybody here knows what I'm talking about. You need to be consistent if you're a believer. Because listen, when you compartmentalize your life, and you're acting one way here, one way there, one way there, do you know what that says about what you believe? Anybody, what does that say about what you believe when you compartmentalize your life? Like that. And, and you're one way here, one way there, and you're, you know, you're one way at church. What does that say about what you believe? Anybody? Okay, it's just an act of what Lisa said. What else? Okay, you don't really believe anything. All right, that's good, Bruce. Anybody else? A hypocrite. Okay. A double-minded person. If we remember what James says, a double-minded person is what? Unstable in all of his ways. is like being tossed on a wave. How many of you like going to the ocean? I like going to the ocean. I like to go swimming. And you ever notice that you can't stay in one place when you just go out? And you're, you know, your mom used to say, I want you to go out there and I want you to stay right in front of me. And you tried all your best, but the waves kept pushing you down. The, like, Mom, don't you understand? You know, it's like, why are you down there? Get back over here, you know? And it's because the waves are pushing you. This is what, you ever notice your life is like that when you compartmentalize your life? You're being tossed. Is it any wonder we live under stress? Because there's no consistency to our life. Here's what it means. When you live your life compartmentalized like that, I want you to listen to me. It means you don't really believe that Jesus is an all-impacting person on your life. And it really suggests that maybe you haven't completely given him everything. Because here's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, Jesus, I'll be like you want me to be here. But then when you're home, it doesn't really matter how I'm at home. I'm at home. I can do whatever I want to, Lord. It doesn't matter how I am at work. I can do what I want to there, Lord. You're basically making a decision that Jesus doesn't have to have all of your life. In fact, you have deceived yourself. Let me just say something to you. You are lying to yourself because you have basically said that Jesus is not the Lord over all of my life, just the part that comes to church on Sunday. Or, excuse me, there is one other part. Whenever I meet him in a crisis and I need him then, then I'll become the good Christian again. See, this is the reality. You know what? The first place to begin is for us to admit we're hypocritical. It's time for us to quit getting picked off at unsaved people saying to us, all the church is filled with hypocrites. We need to start saying, yeah, we are. We are. And so... In fact, here's the thing. I would say they're more consistent than we are. You know, an unbeliever is more consistent in their lifestyle than we are. Because they're that way all the time. We're compartmentalizing things. And this first area that we looked at here about holiness, we really compartmentalize. So let's look at what it says here. First thing I want you to see is prepare your minds. Believers must make a conscious act of their wills to be obedient. You have to make a conscious act to be obedient. 
Listen, you don't get up in the morning and prepare yourself by prayer or by reading His Word or just meditating. Maybe you don't have time to read a word. But even just praying, I mean, you can pray anywhere. You can pray in the shower. Do you understand? Prayer is, you can talk to God anywhere. You can talk to God on the road. Listen, turn the news off. Turn NPR off. Turn the radio off. Don't listen to music. Talk to God. Lord, you know I'm getting ready to go to work. And Lord, you know what I'm going to face there. And you know the temptations. And you know the decisions I'm going to have to make. Help me to make decisions right. Lord, help me not to fall in without everybody else's doing. God, you show me what I need to do. Lord, this day is your day. I am yours. You show me what I need to do. And you talk to Him. But you have to make a conscious decision of your will to be obedient that day. Lord, help me with my temper. Help me not to fly off the handle. Lord, help me at home with my family. You ever notice something? We drop our guards. You know, we're on guard with each other here. Do you notice that? We'll treat each other a certain way, but when we're with family, we really let it go. And listen, our kids see that. I mean, we really let it go when we're, we're, when we're with our families. We drop our guard. We would not treat anybody anywhere else the way we treat our family. Bottom line. And our kids see that. So you've got to make, you got to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to treat my family with honor and love and respect. I need your help to do that. So you've got to make a conscious decision. You've got to make a conscious decision for you, concerning your will to be obedient to God. You say, is there something in the Bible about me the way I'm supposed to be with my kids? Yeah, provoke not your children in the wrath. Provoke not your children in the wrath. Oh, we tell them, honor your mother and father. Do you remember there's one guy in the book of Numbers who got stoned for disobeying his parents? We'll tell them that, but we also need to recognize the Bible says to us, provoke not your children in the wrath. So we need to say to them, God, I need your help to do that. So, believers must make a conscious act of their wills to be obedient. Here's the next thing. Believers need to exercise or discipline themselves to be self-controlled. Man, we all struggle in this I struggle in this area. But here's what Paul's saying. If I'm going to live a lifestyle that is real in holiness, I need to exercise or discipline myself to be self-controlled. Look at what he says in the middle part of verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, here it is. Be sober. Now, when you look at that, in our culture, we think of sober in terms of alcohol. That is not what it's talking about there. It's saying be self-controlled. Don't live your life by your passions or your feelings. You understand? You know, the number one stumbling block for Christians is, is you live your life by your feelings. Because that is the area that the enemy will manipulate you the most is by your feelings. I uh, recently took a class, and the professor obviously liked the movie Gettysburg. How many of you watched the movie Gettysburg? And if you know anything about Gettysburg and Civil War history, one of the Confederate generals wanted to take the high ground. Because you've got to have the high ground, otherwise we're going to lose the battle. And he drew off of that analogy that in your life, you've got to take the high ground. Because if you don't take the high ground of your mind, the enemy is going to rule your life. Because he's a button pusher, to use our terminology today. He knows how to manipulate us. And he manipulates us by our feelings. So you say, how do I take the high ground? You take the high ground with truth. As a believer, you don't live your life by your feelings. You live your life by your by truth. Now, how do I get truth in the high ground of You get truth in the high ground of your mind by reading it, by thinking about it, by applying it to your life. Now, everybody here understands. Does everybody feel the same way every day here? No. 
I mean, there's some mornings you wake up, you're ready to just... And it's not because... I mean, because, listen, you've got hormone things going on in your body. You've got hormonal things going on in your body. Sometimes it could be sickness. Lori will tell you, I'm a bear when I get sick. Just let me go to bed. I mean, I, and I, some of you are like that. When you get sick, you just... I mean, you're like, leave me alone. And your feelings, I mean, they fluctuate. You can't live your life by feelings. Okay? You've got to live... In fact, some of you, you wake up and you don't even feel saved. You don't feel like a Christian. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You can't live your life by your feelings. And you know what? Those are just the prime opportunities for the enemy to come to you and attack you there in your feelings. You've got to take the high ground in your life with truth. Now, here's the thing. So, if I'm going to take the high ground in my life, I need to exercise and discipline myself to be self-controlled in areas. I need to recognize that if I just live my life by my passions, if I just live my life by my desires, it's going to lead to destruction in my life. Period. It's going to lead to destruction. So you've got to make a conscious choice of your mind. We just looked at that. To be obedient. Now you've got to discipline yourself to be what? To be self-controlled. In fact, Paul says this in his letter to Timothy. Exercise yourself unto godliness. Listen, have you noticed that the feeling to just read your Bible isn't there? Ever notice that the feeling to pray isn't there? Ever notice that sometimes? Sometimes it is there. Sometimes there is a desire to read the Word of God. But for the most part, you've got to decide beforehand, I'm getting up 30 minutes earlier and I'm spending time with you, God. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. So, for instance, we just... Uh, last yesterday was the end. I remember I called the church to 21 days of fasting where I had you give up one thing for three weeks. So for those of you who fasted and you gave up something... You gave up something. Did you notice it was a conscious act of your will to give it up? Because if you just ran by your, just the way you always do in, in, in autopilot, you would naturally do what you're trying to give up. You ever notice that? You had to discipline your life to give up whatever you gave up. Did you not? You had to discipline your life. See, this is the whole point. That's called self-control. Because here's what fasting reveals. Fasting, especially if you fast from food, Fasting reveals how much your body is in control and you're not. You realize that? Fasting reveals how much your body is in control and you're not. So here he is. He's telling us, if I'm going to live a lifestyle of holiness, I need to exercise myself. He's telling them to exercise themselves unto and be self-controlled. Discipline and self-controlled. Now, here's he's talking about resting your hope. Believers must rest their hopes on the completion of their salvation. See, this is the biggest lie that's going around our churches today. You say, what's the biggest lie? Here it is. All of us here have a concept of, I'm saved. I got saved, and you'll say, I got saved, and you'll, you'll name the date. I've done that. In fact, another two weeks, 24 years ago, I made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. 24 years ago, second semester freshman, engineering student at the University of South Carolina. I made a commitment to follow Jesus on a Tuesday night. I don't remember the date. I know it was a Tuesday night. It was the third week of April. I guess if I used my computer, I could go back and figure out the exact date. But here's the thing. And so you operate under the subject, I got saved back then. That is not a biblical concept. Salvation in the New Testament is a process. You made a commitment. You are being saved. And the ultimate, the ultimate reality of salvation comes when you go to be with Jesus. 
You say, what are you talking about? Theologians describe it this way. They describe the salvation process in three parts. Justification, I am made holy when I got saved. Sanctification, I am being made holy as I live the life. And that's what we're talking about here as far as living the lifestyle. I am being made holy as I become like Jesus in this life. And then ultimately glorification. I will be holy as I get a new body. No more sin, no more body, no more of this flesh that, that drives me into my sin. It's a process of salvation. We've got to quit looking at it as a pastime event. We got to, in fact, here's what we've been doing. We've been ignoring the sanctification process in our lives. And we've labeled it as legalism. We've labeled it, labeled it as, oh, that's just a bunch of rules. I'm free in Jesus. I can do whatever I want to do. No, you're not. You're not free to do whatever you want to do. See, this is a concept we've got to get out of our mind. So, for instance, how many of you work somewhere? Raise your hand. You work somewhere. How many of you could just do whatever you want to do at work? You'd like to, wouldn't you? But you know the company has rules, the boss has standards, and, and you know that there, you just can't do whatever you want to do there because you know that there is somebody that, that over in the, that you're under an authority. There's an authority figure over you. It is the same thing in a Christian life. You have an authority figure as a believer, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you need to grasp the idea you just don't have a license to do whatever you want to do you need to check with him. And he is in the process of making you holy. He's in the process of making you lowly. So they're going to be here's a Christian life. Everybody thinks a Christian life is this straight upward path of victory after victory. No, it's not. Here's the reality of the Christian life. It's like this. Mountaintop, valleys. Mountaintop, valleys. Period. And each process, each step of the life. He's doing things, changing me to help me to become more like Jesus Christ. Period. He's changing me. So the reality is, is that I'm going to put my hope not on what happened 24 years ago. I'm going to put my hope on what's coming. Freedom. Do you know what total freedom is? Total freedom is from sin. Where you no longer are struggling with thoughts that you should not have where you're no longer struggling with desires that consume you, where you're no longer giving in and sinning, where you are now free. We can't even comprehend that. Because we are so much, the battle is going on in us all the time. And one day there's freedom. Man. We don't even begin to imagine what it would be like. Okay? We don't even begin to imagine what it would be like. So, believers are to, must rest their hope on the completion of their salvation. So then he goes on in verse 14, and here's what he says about conformity. Believers must conform their lives in obedience rather than in desire-driven ignorance. You and I need to conform our lives in obedience. Obedience to what? The Word of God. Remember, that's the truth. That's what we're going to take the high ground on. Rather than in desire-driven ignorance. And it really is. Here's what he's saying. He wants us not to be driven by our desires like we were before salvation. He wants us to be driven rather by obedience to his word. That's going to help you. If you go by your feelings, if you go by your desires, they're always going to cause you to spiral downward into defeat. The reason why some of you here are living a defeated life is because you are driven more by your desires than by truth. 
Period. And you need to recognize that. Bottom line. You and I need to not conform our lives to our desires. Have you met people like that? It's whatever they decide to do that day. Whatever they decide to do. You ever been married to somebody like that? Boy, they got problems, don't they? Because all they're thinking about is who? Themselves. They're not thinking about their spouse. See, this is we're talking about when we talk about desire driven, we're talking about being selfish, where your life revolves around you. You can't commit your conform your life to that kind of thinking. You have to conform your life to a thought where life revolves around Jesus. And let's be honest. We have not been living those that kind of life, have we? So the reality is selfishness. And this is what he's telling us. We need to live our lives in obedience to you, George. No, not to me. To God's Word. So as I live my life in obedience to His Word, I'm not going to be driven and ignorantly by my desires of my flesh. Let's go on. He talks about being holy. First of all, the calling. God calls believers to be holy. Do you realize that? When I'm talking to you about living a lifestyle that is different from the rest of the world, that is conformed to being obedient to His Word, I am not just throwing out a bunch of stuff. The Apostle is not just throwing out a bunch of stuff. The basis for it is because God says to you, you are to be holy. So let me explain something to you. Look at that verse. It is 15, I believe. Does it sound like that's an option? Does that sound like it's an option, guys? So, for instance, let me explain something to you. It's, it's uh, let's see, today's the fifth. Ten days from now, you've got to turn in your tax returns if you haven't already done it to get your refund. But maybe you're not getting a refund, so you're just waiting to the very end to make your payment. Now, here's my point. Is it an option for you not to pay your taxes? Not if you want to stay out of jail. There's consequences if you don't. So that's a good illustration, Bruce. You just brought up a good illustration. So it's not an option for you not to pay your taxes. My friends, as a believer, it's not an option for you to decide that you're not going to be holy. Period. And just like Bruce said with the issue of taxes, if you don't pay your taxes, guess what? Unless you're going to be appointed to some office, you know what I'm saying, you don't need to worry about you know, whether or not you paid your taxes. But for the rest of us, if we don't pay our taxes, what happens? You go to jail, or if you don't pay your property taxes, they take your house. There are consequences. My friends, maybe the reality of the consequences in your life is because you don't take seriously the command to be holy. Will you say we can't read the Sunday comments anymore? No! We just talked about what he said as far as holiness. I'm not driven by my desires. I'm driven by obedience to his word. So here he is, he's saying the calling to us is God calls believers to be holy. Next thing I want you to see there, believers are to be holy in all of their conduct. Now, do you, here's the measuring stick. You've got to make a measuring stick in your mind. The measuring stick in your mind needs to be that you're going to be holy in all of your conduct. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Do you notice that this is not compartmentalizing your life here? It doesn't say, be holy as I'm holy at church. No, it just says, be holy as I'm holy. Consistency. Because aren't you glad God's holy? Because if He wasn't holy, we wouldn't exist. It, it permeates the whole of who He is. So what He's saying here is, He's talking to a holistic view again, that you are to be holy in every area of your life. So you're holy here, in your conduct. You're holy at home. 
So when you get in the vehicle, you better be holy. Because what we do is, is we drop our guard as soon as we get in the vehicle. And can I be honest with you, the first place we drop our guard is with our mouths. Be holy in every area of your life. In all of your conduct, be holy. Let's go on. He goes on and says the basis, the Scripture records God's calling to holiness. This is not just one little blip in the middle of the New Testament that's just insignificant. This is from the very beginning all the way to the end. The concept of holiness. In fact, all the way to the end, when you get to Revelation chapter 20 and 21, it talks about us being holy. We can receive new bodies. We're going to dwell in the presence of God. Do you know the reason why you cannot be in the presence of God now in the body you have is because you're not holy. So he calls us to live holy lives. Now, okay, that's the issue of holiness. Now he talks about a life marked by reverence. Look with me in verse 17 through 21. And if the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold or with your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, let's look at it. First of all, conduct yourselves in fear. Believers must live their lives with a reverential fear of God. The only practical application that I can talk to you about this is, how many of you remember being raised in a home, and there were certain things you didn't do, even though other kids were doing them, there were certain things that you didn't do because you had a fear of dad or mom. How many of you, okay, a lot of us here, right? You had a, a fear of dad or mom because you knew if dad or mom found out there was going to be consequences, which usually meant the Board of Education being applied to your backside, right? Being taken to the woodshed. And so you, I live with a fear of my dad. My friends, God is, Peter is saying to us here, if we're going to live our lives, the life, we've got to live our lives with a fear, a conscious fear of God every day in our lives. I tell you, that's what's missing. That's what's missing in the lives of most believers. Is a concept, a great concept of who God is, first of all, and then a reverential fear. And one day I've got to stand before him and explain myself. Or a reverential fear that says that he chastises every son he loves. He scourges every son he loves. That he will discipline me for doing wrong. See, here's what we'll do, though. We have forgotten that God disciplines us, and we blame it all on the devil. Well, the devil's been really after me this week. He's really attacking me. He's oppressing me. You know, half the time, it isn't the devil. It might be God trying to get your attention on something. So I need to have a fear. I need to have a fear of God. I must live my life with a fear of God. Of, I'm going to explain this to the Lord. Here's the other thing. This is based on the fact that God judges all without partiality. You know what? Here's what we do. We are so thick. I mean in the head. I'm okay. I'm okay with you, Lord, because I'm not like Bruce. I'm okay because I'm not like Gene. 
Here's what we do. So we think we're okay. Yeah, I know I did wrong, Lord, but I'm still okay with you, Lord, because I, I haven't. Re- I have, I'm not in the ditch. That's pride, first of all. First of all, that's pride, which is sin. And you've got a wrong concept of God. What your concept of God is, is when you do that, is, is that you think that God plays favorites. Oh, Lord, you owe it to me. I've been serving you for a long time. No, he doesn't. He doesn't owe you anything. Nothing. You've not done anything to deserve his grace. In fact, I need to remind you what Isaiah says. All our righteousness, all our righteous deeds are but as filthy rags. Period. There, you know, you may have been raised in a Christian home. Big deal. Some of us take pride in that. You may have been going to church all of your life. Nothing matter. The fact of the matter is, is if you're not doing right, you're not doing right. All that other stuff doesn't mean anything. He judges without partiality. So if you take a guy who's been a drug addict, bummer, down in the dumps all of his life, gets saved, God judges him the same way that he judges you who's never done anything wrong. We've got to get this concept out of our mind that we're better than others. In fact, can I be honest with you? I can tell you where that came from. It came from the pit of hell. And that's the biggest deception that Satan will play with you because he doesn't want you to deal with your sin. He wants you to think that you're okay. The reality is, is you're not. And you notice how we excuse things? Oh, it's just my temperament. In, in Canada, you know, you hear people say, in Canada, they, they're still European there, so you, you hear people, oh, he's just a Dutchman. That's why he's belligerent. No, he's a sinner. Who needs saved by grace. Or if he is saved, he's transformed by grace. Oh, I'm a redhead. Have you noticed redheads? Have we got any redheads in here? We might have some redheads. I'm a redhead. So therefore, I am justified in my attitude. Because that's what redheads do. You maybe have done that because you've been told that lie. The, the reality is, listen to me, the reality is we make excuses. And we forget that he judges without partiality. Period. Listen, in fact, I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, are you ready for this? If you do that, I can tell you exactly who you're like. Jesus told a parable. Two men went up to the temple. The Pharisees stood up there and said, Lord, I thank you. I've done all this stuff for you. And I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector behind you. You didn't notice what he said. The tax collector didn't even look up. He just looked down and held his hand against his chest and said, Lord, beat his hand on his chest and said, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Then Jesus said, who of those two men were righteous? The last guy. We've got a lot of self-righteousness, don't we? Let's go on. Wealth and religious conduct could not buy our redemption. Your redemption isn't bought by how much you have in the bank, and a lot of you don't have a lot left these days. Your redemption, aren't you glad that your redemption is not based on wealth? And it's not even based on your religious conduct. So you're here, so you give, so you serve. You won't believe how many people I hear when they go through a difficult struggle. See, this stuff is revealed when people go through crises. Because you'll hear them say things, why is God doing to me? I've served him so long and he's letting this happen to me. How many of you heard things like that? We all have. Here's, my, here's the problem with that thinking. You've got, it reveals a problem in your mind. First of all, you've forgotten that life throws stuff at you, period. It's not God. He allows it to happen and he uses it as a test in our, as a test in our lives. But life will throw stuff at you. And when you act that way, that reveals more about what you believe than reality. 
reality being Jesus. Let's go on. Our redemption was purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our redemption was purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? You're saved here today. You are a believer in Jesus Christ, not because of you, but because of Jesus. We've forgotten that. And we're doing that. Let's go on. Here's the eternal plan. Jesus was to be our redemption from the beginning of time, he tells us. Verse 20. From the beginning of time, Jesus was supposed to be our sacrifice. And then here's the point. The present revelation, the plan concerning Jesus was revealed for our sakes. That plan was revealed for our sakes. Now here's the basis. Here's the basis for salvation. You've got to understand this. And why am I repeating this? Because statistics show that more than 50% of the church believe there's more than one way to salvation. More than 50% of the church believe, and I think that's even true here, more than 50% of the church believes it's my good deed plus Jesus that's going to give me to heaven. Or my Christian background plus Jesus that's going to give me to heaven. Period. Here's the basis for salvation. Faith in God comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where your salvation comes from. It's through Jesus. Not through you, not what you've done, not where you've been born, not that you're in this country. Here's the other thing. Let's try to finish up the issue of love. And this is one thing that we lack. Look with me is what he says, verse 22 through 25. Since you, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, and the grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Okay, let's, we've got uh, five things we need to go through. We'll go through them real quickly. Because we have obeyed the truth through faith, we have been purified. Because we have obeyed the word through faith, we have been purified. Therefore, we are commanded to love one another with a pure love. It isn't an option for you to not to have an attitude with a Christian. Do you understand me? It is not an option. You and I are called because we've been purified to love people with a pure love, period. You say, well, you know, I don't like... The, look, the saints ain't perfect and neither are you. Quit focusing on their little attitude or whatever or their demeanor or their temperament and take a look at people are putting up with you. You need to put up with them. Period. You need to show love. Let's go on. We've been given a new life through the Word of God. You've been given a new life. How many of you realize that? You've got to start realizing that you've got to start living it. And here's the thing. You've got to get... Mark a star down by this next point. The old life was temporary and fading. You know what? Some of us, are, we're so hung up on this life. We've got our dreams about what we want to do, how we want our house to be. We, you know, and we're so focused because we've forgotten that we're pilgrims. We're sojourners in this world. We have so focused on what we want now and what we can have. And this is the land of opportunity. And, you know, all you got to do is just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you can do it. That's a focus on now. You've forgotten that there's something else later. And so this life, you and I need to remind ourselves, this life is temporary and fading. Let's go on. Final point, the basis for true life. The basis for the new life is the eternal Word of God. Listen, my friends, you need to read your Bibles. 
But there's no excuse for in America that we have so many Bibles and we don't read them. And so what, I look at, what happens is, is when I look around the world, I see people who are alive for Jesus. Some of them don't have any Bibles, wish they had a Bible. I've got 30 volumes sitting on a bookshelf downstairs. Isn't that crazy? I've got 30 volumes. I only use one. And ashamedly, I probably don't read it as much as I should. How many do you have in your house gathering dust? See, the life that you want in Jesus is found in the Word manifested in your life. That's the lifestyle we're called to. Okay, let's close our time here.